Welcome to the RSCC podcast. We're so thankful that you're joining us today. Here at Rising Sun Church of Christ, we exist to know, love, and serve Jesus. If you would like to receive more information about RSCC, we would love to hear from you through our social medias at RSCC Family or through email at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for tuning in to the RSCC podcast, and we hope the message blesses you today. Well, good morning. Everybody doing all right? I hope so. It's a beautiful day outside, and I'm very thankful that you're choosing to spend this time in here when you could be outside, because it's amazing. So thank you for being here with us today. Hey, I just want to remind you where we're headed, because we're in this series called This or That, and we're just coming up on some complicated issues and stacking it up against Scripture and making sure that the way we live our life lines up with the way Scripture calls us to live. Because oftentimes it just doesn't. And we want to make sure that those of us who follow Jesus, we are submitting to what God is leading us toward. And the reason we're doing that is because we know that Scripture is our source of truth. That when anything is confusing or there's chaos in our world, we can look to Scripture and know how to respond, how to live, and it shapes us in what we do. And so last week we looked at, at what God intended with creation. That he made us to be in right relationship with him, to steward his creation well, and to live together as perfect partners for his glory. Now, obviously, this was broken. We don't live freely in right relationship with God. We aren't joyful stewards of his creation most of the time. And the turmoil surrounding our identity and purpose is clearly divisive and difficult. Now, why is that? Or maybe the better, the more basic question is, why do bad things happen? You know, oftentimes as somebody who preaches the word, you fill different roles. You know, sometimes you're an encourager, sometimes you're a challenger, sometimes you're trying to inspire or call people to something, something. and sometimes, like today, you're an educator. You need to educate, some, educate people on some words and definitions to help us understand things more fully and have a relationship with Jesus that is deep and rich. And it helps us understand how to combat what the world says because honestly, a lot of things that we do in our life are just the result of living in the world and allowing it to shape how we view things. And sin is one of those things. The world says that bad things happen based on things like karma. They may not call it karma. We don't use that word very much anymore. That's kind of an antiquated word. But you'll hear it most often, things like what goes around comes around, right? The world tells us that if we do good things, then good things will happen. If we just put out positive vibes, we'll get positive vibes back. The Bible has a very different narrative from that. The Bible tells us that evil, disease, death, and chaos all exist for one reason, and that reason is sin. We don't like to talk about sin in our culture. There's an author named Rich Hoyer that captures our culture's view of sin really well. He talks about how we change the names of things to soften the reality of it. He says, We don't sin, we make mistakes. We don't lie, we misspeak. A person isn't guilty of promiscuity and fornication. He is guilty of indiscretion and has a sexual addiction. Or as comedian Bill Maher has said, everything that used to be a sin is now a disease. 
we so often try to overcome the symptoms of the issue. We're so removed from the reality of sin that we think we can fix the problem simply through therapy, medications, programs, good vibes, good deeds, having a positive attitude, and all these other physical solutions. And while these things are helpful in certain scenarios, the real problem in our world is much deeper. We need to acknowledge the existence of sin. In his book, Grace Once for All, Jack Cottrell points out, outside of Christian circles, the concept of sin is practically non-existent. Secular Western man has banned the idea. Of course, he recognizes that the world is filled with evils, failures, social ills, and conflicts of all kinds, but he just does not want to think of them as sin. This is because sin implies a wrongdoing for which one is responsible before God, and modern man does not want to see himself in this light. We need to recognize that we're created by a holy God. And when we sin, we live in rebellion, which then makes us vulnerable to the consequences. Today we're going to explain the reality of sin and discuss the problem it creates. We need to understand the doctrine behind sin because the world's view is so opposite of what the Bible tells us. Sin is a reality that we have to deal with. But you need to know that there's a solution. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful I'm thankful that we get to come here and rightly divide your word together as a church and grow and learn from it. And our relationship with you gets to get deeper because we understand you and your words on a deeper level. And so God, I ask right now that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that you would remove my shortcomings and failures and you would use me as your instrument to speak into your flock and shape us to live for you. And God, I pray that what we learned this morning will cause us to live boldly and intentionally and draw others to the freedom that comes only through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So how did this happen? If God created a world that was meant to function in perfect harmony with him and be for his glory, how did it get so messed up? Let's start in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, about halfway through the verse The serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Let's stop here for a moment. What we're seeing here is the acknowledgement of law. In Eve's response, we're seeing that she's fully aware of the rules that God has put into place. We get a clear look at what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God's law. It's that simple. Sin is rebellion against God's law. He told them that there was only one rule in the garden. Don't eat from this tree. That's it. But Satan is a brilliant tempter, isn't he? He knows exactly how to get us to fall. Take note of what he says. He doesn't say, hey, did God really say not to eat from that tree? No, he creates doubt by saying, wait, did God really say not to eat from any tree? He still does that, doesn't he? 
He'll, he'll come into your head and he'll say, hey, did God really say not to do any of this? And we know full well God said not to do that, but he lumps it into any and he creates confusion. He causes us to question God's authority. He tempts us. His playbook has never changed. Look at verse four. The serpent responds, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what he does? He questions God's authority and then he offers the woman divinity. He tells her that if she eats this fruit, she will be like God. And that temptation is more than she can bear and she gives in and she eats the fruit Eve then gives the fruit to her husband and he can't, he can't resist it either and he eats as well. Sin has entered the world and there's no turning back. They are now aware of good and evil and because of that, they feel shame. This is a feeling that had never existed for them. They were completely innocent and lived free of guilt and shame until this moment. Verse nine, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you hear the pain in this on both sides? There's so much pain. They're embarrassed and they hid. They've corrupted their innocence and now they can't even stand to be before God. This is where sin comes from. There was one law, it was broken. And that created the necessity for separation between us and God. I covered this over the summer, but I wanna remind you that God by nature is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. He is required by his nature to punish sin. Therefore, in this moment, in Genesis 3, God is required to separate himself from his beloved creation. He cannot coexist with sin. So what does this tell us about the reality of sin? What can we learn here? First thing we can learn is this, man has free will. We need to understand that our choices are our own. We are responsible for the decisions we make and Adam and Eve were no exception. God created us with the free will to choose between right and wrong. Adam and Eve knew the law, don't eat from that tree. And they chose to break the law by their own free will. Now, the beauty of free will is that we can fully experience the love of God because we freely choose to receive it. We are not coerced and we are not forced. However, free will also means that no one else can be blamed for our sin. God does not make us sin. We choose it. Second thing we can learn is this. Sin is rooted in the desire to be in control. Remember, Satan's temptation of Eve was that she could be like God. That means that she would have the ability to make the rules and have power. This is where sin comes from. 
Sin is the desire in us to ignore the lordship of God and do what we think is best. Again, sin is rebellion against the laws of God. And the third thing we can learn is that sin creates separation. In the presence of God, there is no death, disease, pain, or chaos. God is perfect, and everything in his presence is perfect. Therefore, when something is broken or rebellious, it cannot be in the presence of God. That's how it works, by his nature. He's holy and righteous, and he is completely just. Therefore, sin has to be punished and put out of his presence. Sin creates an impassable separation between us and God. So, to recap, this is how sin entered the world. There was one law, Adam and Eve broke it, and man was then forever separated from the holy God. So, now what? What does it mean, then? Before we can understand the solution and how Jesus overcomes sin, we have to understand the depths of the problem. The world tells us that evil can be overcome simply by doing good. Do enough good and evil will go away. Do good things, be a good person, and everything will work out. That's just not what the Bible says. Romans 3.10, which is Paul quoting the Old Testament in Psalms, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Some translations say that there is none good. No matter how much we desire to do good, our desire to sin is always at war within us. We have what is called a sinful nature. This means that we are naturally prone to sin. We long to do good, but we often fall short. Paul writes about this in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I don't understand what I do. You ever felt that way? I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. That should be familiar. Verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Verse 21, so I find this all at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This passage often often gets ignored because it can be confusing, which is why I extrapolated out those pieces so we could see the train of thought in order. Paul is explaining what it feels like to wrestle with our sinful nature. All of us can relate to the reality that there are things we just don't want to do, right? Right? but something in us pulls us toward it. This isn't just weakness or misguided decision-making or any other thing the world would call it. This is sin. There is a sinful nature built inside of us from the fall of Adam and Eve that desires to rebel against God. There's this book that I love. It's the first book that ever got me into reading. I read it when I was a teenager. It's called The Oath by Frank Peretti. It's a science fiction book. It's a little weird, but it's really, really good. And one of the things that happens in this book is when someone in this little community, this little isolated community, falls to sin, a black mark shows up on their chest. And they can hide it for a little while, right? But as they go deeper and deeper into the sin, the black mark grows until it overtakes them and they become someone they never intended to be. 
This is what sin does to us. It perpetuates this desire to rebel against God. And good karma and positive vibes are never going to fix the depth of our brokenness. It's not that we're not good enough. It's that we're separated. And no amount of good deeds or positive actions is going to build a bridge across that divide. There is no way for us to good deed ourselves out of the pit that sin has created. Evil, death, disease, failure, disappointment, division, greed, and every other broken thing in the world exists because we're separated from God because of our sin. Sin is the problem, and it causes two major issues for us. First, sin makes us guilty. Okay, when we sin, we become guilty according to God's law, and what kind of sin doesn't matter. Whether you simply lie to your spouse or you kill someone, the result, according to God's law, is the same. We want to put sin in levels, right? We want to say, well, that sin's worse than this, this one. At least I don't do that. It's not how it works. As soon as corruption enters the body, it is separated from God, period. What kind of sin doesn't matter. What was perfect and what was meant to be perfect and innocent is no longer perfect and innocent. Therefore, it is guilty. So our first problem because of sin is a legal one. God has a law. We broke the law. 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Second problem we have is this. Sin makes us sick. When we sin, we bring upon our souls a sickness that perpetuates. It's called sinfulness. It makes us weak and corrupt, and if it goes unchecked, it will destroy our soul and make us evil. Like I explained about that book, it overtakes us, and we become something we never wanted to be. Now, if God is the source of life, and sin separates us from God, it stands to reason that sin makes us sick and leads to to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, we are condemned according to the law, and our souls are sick and becoming more depraved because we have been disconnected from the source of life. That's not good, right? And the evidence is all around us. People often ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the age-old philosophical question, right? Well, the answer is simple, but it's not an answer most people like. The answer is that there aren't good people. I think the more proper question is, why, do, why would good things ever happen to bad people? Bad things happen. Disease, evil, and death exist because the world is separated from God. We need saving, and there's nothing we can do to change that. But Jesus. This is what is so amazing about the story of the fall of man. God knew from the beginning that his creation, because he made us with free will, had the potential to sin. He knew from the beginning that he may have to redeem us back, and so he has always had a plan. Genesis 3.15, God is talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is a prophecy about the crucifixion. 
Yes, Satan will strike his heel. Jesus will be crucified, but he will raise again and he will crush Satan's head, defeating sin and death forever. This is the promise that God makes to overcome the sting of sin and death through a coming savior. Adam fell to temptation and condemned mankind, but one would come that would defeat Satan and restore us back to our intended relationship with God. Romans 5 says it this way in verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, Adam's sin, was condemnation for all, so also the result of one act of righteousness, the cross, was justification that brings life for all men. Jesus cures the problem sin creates. Our sin makes us guilty and our sin makes us sick. That means we have a broken relationship that needs repaired and a diseased condition that needs healed. Jesus accomplishes both at the cross. His death is our justification. Because he is innocent of any wrongdoing, he is able to willingly receive the penalty we deserve. And because of that, we receive the grace we don't deserve. Through that exchange, the law is satisfied. And we are brought into right relationship with God. This is called justification. The words matter. Definitions matter. Understanding these words gives depth to our relationship with Jesus. Justification is to declare righteous. Where we were guilty from the law before, now we are innocent. Just to be clear, justification doesn't heal our condition. I'll get to that in a minute. It heals our relationship to the law. Justification is a legal concept that satisfies the requirements of the law. This is what Jesus does at the cross. He takes the penalty that the law requires that was meant for us. Therefore, we're declared not guilty according to the law. But what about our condition? We have a sinful nature that is prone to depravity. How do we heal that? How do we become free of the chains of sin and find healing from the disease it creates? That word is sanctification. There's a lot more to this than I can cover today, but sanctification simply means to make holy. The blood of Jesus does this work in us. It sets us apart from the old way of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Our sick condition that was deteriorating our bodies is healed and we are made into something new. When we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and we are baptized, the old is gone and the new has come. All that is broken is made new. Our diseased condition is healed. We are sanctified, made holy before God. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, our sin is forgiven. We are justified according to the law. And our diseased condition is healed. We are made new. This is the hope promised in Scripture. And I'll ask the same question I did last week. Isn't that beautiful? Everything that God does and everything that he promises is just beautiful. While the world tries to tell us that we can work our way into being good people, Scripture reminds us that our God did that work for us. 
We don't have to look at our enormous stacks of failures and mistakes and try to do enough good deeds to overcome it, which would never happen. We can take that huge stack of brokenness, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and he carries it for us. And because of that, we are able to walk freely in grace, knowing that Jesus has paid for our freedom. There's one more piece to this beautiful puzzle called grace. Hope. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are justified and sanctified. We are free from guilt and we are made holy. And then because Jesus walked out of the tomb and defeated death, we are assured the hope of heaven. Death doesn't win. Jesus gets the final say and he promises us eternity in heaven with him. He promises to restore us back to God's intended purpose, to walk freely in the garden without guilt and shame. Isn't that beautiful? The hope we have as followers of Jesus isn't merely a wish or an unattainable longing. The hope we have is certain. As Jack Cottrell puts it in his truth, he says, and we who are presently justified by the blood of Christ through faith have this hope, this confident expectation of sharing in his glory throughout eternity. I like to call it a belligerent hope, a hope that doesn't falter or give in, a hope that is laser focused on the truth that this world is not our home and we are on our way to heaven. This is what Jesus does. And no amount of good deeds or positive vibes can give us the confident assurance that Jesus does. Jesus is our hope. And to know him is to know freedom. If you want to know him, you can. If you want to have freedom from carrying that stack of mistakes and failures all the time and trying to overcome it just by being a good person, you can lay that down and know Jesus and find freedom and be freed of the weight of that. Just come to him. Believe that he is who he says he is, that he offers grace and forgiveness to you, that you can be free. We're going to sing a song here in a second, and I will be right here. And I would love to receive you. I would love to walk you into a relationship with Jesus so that you can find freedom. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, I am so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus. I will never get tired of remembering that our hope is in him, that because of the work Jesus did on the cross, we can look forward to eternity. We can look forward to forgiveness and freedom. We can look forward to walking again in the garden without guilt and shame. Thank you. And God, I ask that you would shape this church to be a people that live boldly and confidently with a belligerent hope that does not falter or fade, but we stand firm knowing this world is not our home and we are on our way to heaven. And God, give us the boldness to take as many people with us as possible. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is holding on to their sin, that is carrying that stack of mistakes and failures and is feeling overwhelmed by the weight of it, God, I pray you would speak to their heart and help them release it and let go and walk into the baptismal waters and find freedom 
Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the RSCC podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you have any further questions or you just want to know more about what RSCC has going on, you can reach out through our email at info at rsccfamily.org. We would love to see you in person soon. We have services that happen every Sunday at 830 and at 1045, and you're always welcome. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.